0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today you are going to hear me on the Wired for Success podcast. The Wired for Success podcast is hosted by Claudia Garbutt. She speaks about the science of self-development. So we spoke about self-development, passion. We spoke about mindset, mindset for entrepreneurship, but also mindset for sales and marketing and scaling and growth. So we went into the science of the mindset required for success as an entrepreneur or somebody that's trying to build something out. So if you want to go listen to more of this type of content, go check out the Wired for Success podcast. Again, this is me being invited as a guest on the Wired for Success podcast. (laughs)
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Wired for Success podcast, where we talk about all things, science, self-development, and entrepreneurship that help you get to that next level of success in your life and business. Today, I'm bringing you another interview episode, and my guest today is business executive, entrepreneur, and podcast host, Scott D. Clary. He has sold and marketed to the most iconic Fortune 500 brands throughout his career. His work has been featured in over 100 news sites and publications. He speaks globally at industry conferences and has had articles and insights featured in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Hackernoon, The Startup, and others. He currently runs a global software as a service sales and marketing organization and is the host of the Success Story podcast, where he interviews inspirational people, mentors, and leaders. So I'm really looking forward to hearing his insights on what's working and what's not working in digital marketing and sales right now. So welcome, Scott, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show today.
0: Thank you, Claudia, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. So let's start by talking a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing. It sounds Mm -hmm. like you're still working a nine-to-five while building your business as a side hustle. Is that right?
0: That's correct, yeah. So um, I think from a young age, uh, firstly, I guess it would help to get some context from the family that I came from, just a very brief primer. So my, my background is not in entrepreneurship. My background is not even in private industry or tech. Uh, family is mostly law enforcement, um, police, uh, uh, father worked for CSIS, which, for to put it in perspective, is similar to so like a Canadian uh, secret service, intelligence, CIA type. Uh, yeah, so very, very, um, you know, a family of government, but in in the law enforcement realm. Um, my my path was probably going to be. I thought it was going to be either law enforcement or or criminal law or some form of law. I was in pre law, criminology in university, um, started. Uh, working in tech for a telco early on in my career as I was coming out of high school throughout university, um, ended up making good money in sales in tech, Uh, just realized that I was quite good at it and always sort of was in that top percentile of people that I worked with in in whatever group I was in because I had moved up, I moved up through different departments as my career progressed. Um, Company was Bell Canada, which is a very, very large telco in, in Canada. Um, and as I was finishing up my undergrad um i I kind of had the choice I could keep going and keep seeing where my career could take me, or I could go and I could go back to school, potentially law school. I actually finished all the tests required for policing, um but I chose not to go down that path or apply for any police forces um chose not to go back to law school. I said, I'll get myself till I'm Thirty, see how much money I can make, and if you know I can't make it in tech, and I can't, I can't really, really, you know, be an executive of a, a you know, a director, VP, whatever of a large company, then maybe I'll, I'll revisit my career. But I was doing well. I was doing very well, and I, I felt like every year. Almost I was either moving to a different department or, you know, there was some there was some progression every single year because of my performance. And I thought, well, it's silly to just cut this short. Let's see how far I can take this. So anyways, Mm -hmm. so after university, kept working, same same company for Bell for a while, um, moved into a sales leadership role at another company, um, then sales and marketing leadership and then moved into individual consulting for a while, uh, because, of course, as a young ambitious salesperson and sales and marketing person you thought you're god's gift to business which you obviously aren't but you thought you know oh, look at what i've done in my career like i'm making x amount of dollars somebody else can benefit from you know what i've learned and obviously you find out very quickly that you aren't that special and it's difficult to just go into a consulting business um i just tried it on my own uh was overworked tired you know stressed out did it with partners uh who i found who were also trying to be like almost like fractional CXOs, so outsourced CXOs. Um, and it, it was a little bit better. Uh, we, we closed some large accounts as fractional CXOs, had some great contracts. but still at the end of the day. Um, it, was, it was all of our first forays into entrepreneurship and consulting. And it was difficult because as a consultant, anybody who's a consultant will, will recognize this. You put in your 40 hours of client work, And then you have to post to social, go find Mm -hmm. new customers. You have to go build, like, and that's the stuff that you start at five o'clock at night or six o'clock at night, right? So, Mm because we we had the long-term contracts that we were very happy with, we were actually in, in one company, various companies, but we were in office for like, you know, we'd drive down into the office, show up at nine o'clock, work for five hours as a, as a fractional CXO, and then you drive home and then you're like, okay, so this contract is going to be great for six months, but what do we do after that? Because you realize it's not a job, it's a contract and you're the consultant. So um, you have to go figure out how to get more business. Anyway, so it was difficult. None of us were really set up for it properly. We didn't really know we were getting ourselves into... Um, so I, well, we all went our separate ways. We all went back to work for companies. We all went back into permanent executive roles in companies. Right. And that's sort of what's led me to where I'm at now. So I joined one particular company. Um, it, it was called Excitem. They've now been acquired because I've worked with them over the past two years to grow their business. They were acquired about, uh, you know, according to July 1st, about a month and a half ago. Um, so it was, it was a successful two years. Um, but over the course of that two years, Again, something that will resonate with entrepreneurs. If you it, I went into consulting, I knew that it was not going perfect. I knew there's a better way to build my own thing. So I joined a company, and I and I thought there was an opportunity there and there was, and it and it did well. and and I did good work over the past two years. But also, I was still building out my podcast while I was there. I was uh, building out an email list which now has uh, parlayed into a newsletter that I send out. Um, so it turned into a full-time job plus side hustle as that, as my newer version of entrepreneurship and that's worked out well. It's been a more sustainable version. We can talk about, um, you know, sustainability, long-term, long-term entrepreneurship side hustles. That's what I've lived over the past two and a half years. And that's what has led the podcast to be a success has led the newsletter and the email list and, and the brand that I've built to be successful. Um, not, not the not successful as in like, I'm the epitome of podcasts. I'm the epitome of of people that write newsletters, but uh, it, it's, it's growing. And in my mind, that's the metric that I look for. Is it growing? Am I getting a larger community? Am I getting more people listening, more people reading the newsletter, whatever it may be, what's your metric, but it, by all accounts across, you know, all the different things that I do on the side, they're all growing. And now they've grown to the point where they're turning into more viable businesses because i've built a, a, a fair amount of you know audience around these assets and that's where i'm at now so that's sort of my my story uh that's my that's my coles notes story so
1: that's a very interesting story and i mean do you see yourself staying um with on that trajectory long term so do you want to stay um an employee and an entrepreneur at the same time or do you plan on leaving your company yeah (laughs) um
0: that's a good well i think i think it would be uh naive to say that somebody who is very entrepreneur excuse me would stay with the company for the next 30 years
1: right
0: now when when do i leave that's a good question and i don't know and i don't know if i leave and i even have perhaps one more career for it. That's also not off the table. Um, Right now what I'm doing, I'm doing fun work and and the reason why I haven't decided if I'm going to leave is because first of all, I've built out processes and systems to allow myself to maintain the same growth trajectory on my podcast and my newsletter and my community and my brand and potentially launch new things across that audience without having to commit extra of my hours mm-hmm. so i can still work 50 hours a week for a job and i have now built out this now i ha, now i'm building out a team that can actually support the side hustle because now the side hustle is monetized so now this is something that is a little bit more sustainable long term and the reason why i don't feel the need to leave anything yet is because um the topics that I discussed in my newsletter, in my podcast are relevant and in line with what I live and do every single day.
1: Right. So I speak
0: about marketing, uh, tech, innovation, business, entrepreneurship, sales, all the stuff that I literally do. Like when, when I break down how to market, how to take a product to market, how to uh, develop demand, how to find new leads, how to run an outbound campaign. This is all stuff that I do. In my day-to-day so it's easy for me to speak about and it's easy for me to stay relevant because i'm always trying to figure out how to do it better for my actual product and my actual company and it's also because i have the opportunity to because it wasn't a startup that was acquired now i'm responsible for think about it like an innovation unit within a company so mm-hmm. i'm responsible for new ideas new software taking it across and to put it in perspective uh we were acquired by grass valley grass valley is a 600 million dollar business they have about 100 sales reps 400 channel partners globally I'm a small innovation unit within that that has software products that I can take across this huge organization, this huge sales organization and marketing organization. And I can test things at scale that normally in a startup environment, I wouldn't be able to just because we don't have the resources. So that's also exciting. So when do you leave? Well, you leave when obviously you don't enjoy the work you're doing. But even even if I did leave Grass Valley, I don't know if it would be the end of my career because I think I still enjoy working in startup environments. I still enjoy really doing incredible stuff and there will be a day i think that if the growth of the podcast and and my personal brand takes off i have to decide what do i do with that audience what i do with that show and you know is it is it consulting again done right is it selling something is it who knows maybe it's just building up a big enough network that you have some sort of setup like uh john lee dumas entrepreneur on fire where he makes 100 to two hundred thousand dollars a month just in ad revenue because he has such a huge listenership for his podcast who knows but i can tell you even if i was at that level it would still be fun to work with companies maybe it wouldn't be what i need to do because you're making a lot of money other places but you if you like doing it then it's not something you ever really want to give up so
1: yeah as long as you enjoy it it's there's a difference because some people keep staying at a a company because they are afraid. They are afraid to, to take that leap of faith and be yes. on their own. So that's one big thing. But as you say, it's less fear-driven for you. It's more like joy-driven because you enjoy what you do. So I guess that's different.
0: Yes, of course. And don't get me wrong. It's naive to say that um, I would love just getting rid of my paycheck. But but I'll tell you one thing, because I've built up everything that I've done gradually, and I've built it up in a way that's sustainable, and I can manage it while I'm still working. Um, Now, the audience for the podcast is big, the audience for the newsletter is large enough where I can monetize it, I have sponsors, and the revenue coming in from that is equal or greater to the salary. So it's at the point where I could, like I could just focus and pivot and quit. But again, it's about what you, what you want to do. So I don't feel the need to do it yet. I do feel the need to hire good people to build out a process, to build out systems that allow me to scale up my, my side hustle that is making good money so that I don't have to work 14 hour days.
1: Yeah.
0: That's what I feel the need to do, but I don't feel the need to quit yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) you you, you're doing it yourself. You know what? Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do,
1: and you can't work 14-hour days. Well, you can for a short period of time, but at some point, your system, like your body system, is just going to break down. So yeah, what you want to avoid. Now we all know that entrepreneurship is this huge roller coaster, and you have these ups and downs, and you have all those new challenges. That arise on a constant basis. So I'm curious, at this point in your career, what what aspects of your life and business do you find most challenging to manage right now?
0: What aspects of my life and business do I find most challenging? So we've kind of touched on this. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of touched on this before, and I think this is this is relevant because this is something that anybody who's ambitious enough to try and build their own thing. Will have some hint of this personality quirk in them. So, you know, you're very kind. Um, I missed two podcast recording sessions before this, and you said this has never happened before. You said, Scott, you missed one more, you're cut. And I said, Oh my God, Claudia, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, please. So you asked why. So, so I, I was in the process of moving over the past two months, and um moving's all already tough. But I have the personality quirk of, so it's so funny. Like, so, so my, my, my spouse, my, my better half. And, you know, I, I say that because we're supposed to get, we're supposed to get married quite soon, but we're not yet because of COVID. So we actually put it off because of COVID anyway. So that's going to be in the next, you know, six months, a year where we're going to get married and she would never have a zoom wedding. She'd kill me. But so, <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, so she is of the mindset of like, if you, you know, if we're moving, of course you want to get it done, but like it doesn't all have to be done day one. So when the boxes come in. And you move your boxes in, you know, you're, you're going to take some time, you're going to over the next two, three weeks, you're going to unpack the boxes. For me, it's like, I get anxiety if it's not done that day. <laughs> like if the like, <laughs> which is, is not a, it's not a normal, realistic expectation of moving. You can't expect to unpack and put up everything and cut all the cardboard boxes and put it all away and build all the furniture. But like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> that's what I want to do. And and it, it, it's even worse now because so you know we we moved a we moved a, a big move because we were in a home and we were moving some stuff to one condo and moving some stuff to another condo and whatnot so we we're splitting everything up and obviously if you 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 have to get some new stuff for both locations because you don't have double of everything. So, you know, we're getting some furniture we have to build and whatnot. And like when the boxes come in, like I have four bookshelves sitting in like that room right there. And it's like causing me anxiety that I can't start building them or getting them finished until Saturday. Well, cause I have, I have a lot of stuff to do, but normally maybe before this move, um, before I basically worked myself to the point where like I was over exhausted and, and, yeah, you know when you're overexhausted when you when you wake up in the morning after working after working your job or whatever, and you also end up building stuff or unpacking at night. And I can tell I'm overexhausted when I start to sleep through my alarm. Yeah. When when regardless of I could have a like, the alarm's loud. It's like a you know whatever. It's not a peaceful alarm. It's not like a nice little melody that wakes you up. It's like I do the the, the loud yeah. alarm right. And when I, when I sleep through that in the morning, that's when you know that you've, over, like you've done it too much because that, that's your body telling you something. Exactly. And, and it got to the point where in, during this move, because I was trying to do everything at once and unpack everything at once, I would sleep through two, three, four alarms in the morning. Um, and, and it wasn't like I was waking up hitting snooze. It was just sleep mm. right through them. So I think that that's something that I, I struggle with. That's a personality trait that I struggle with. And it can be effect, obviously, you can see that that could be an effective personality trait in the right context, but it can be taken to an extreme, which is not healthy, obviously, Mm -hmm. and then you, and then actually end up doing more harm than good, because your back sore or whatever, and, and you slept through and now you, maybe you missed a phone call for work or whatever, but you know, you're not getting anything done the next day either, because you're, you're done, you're, you're, you're exhausted. So that's something that, um. I guess it could be a blessing and a curse, depending on on what you're trying to take on. But I think you have to be self-aware of that personality quirk because entrepreneurs will always try and do too much. Um, and it's it's compounded when you are a, a a less experienced entrepreneur trying to build something and say it's compounded with another another quite common personality quirk for an entrepreneur is to chase. The shiny, mm. the shiny object, right? To chase the new thing true. and to, to try new things all the time. But again, it's a great thing to have that curiosity. Yeah. yeah. But that compounded with needing to get it done right away can lead to you physically burning yourself out and hurting yourself. And then long-term um, being less effective, if, if, if effective at all, if doing anything at all. But I think that's something that I've always struggled with and I have to be cognizant of.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a very slippery slope, and mm. I've been there. I've had the like the eighty. I've worked the eighty-hour weeks, and yeah. I was still at university. I know what it's like, and I I ended up with a burnout. I ended up with leukemia. So I I know wow. it can down. It can go down a very, a very negative path, and you don't want to get there. So you want to be really aware of what's going on so that you Mm -hmm. can, you know, you can stop it from happening because there's a point where you can still stop it and then you you have a point where you can't stop what you've started anymore or you you can, but it will take a long time to get back to where you were before and it's just so much harder. So yeah. Let's talk about digital marketing and sales sure. strategies. so what's sure. working right what's working right now and what is not working <laughs> when it comes to selling products and services online?
0: Sure, so the things that are not working um, are blasting out automated campaigns to hundreds of thousands of people the spray and pray model of sales right this this yeah. is not a where you just reach out to as many people as you can you the message is the same to everybody and you're just hoping that some person accidentally buys your product mm-hmm. so if that's your sales strategy it's probably not going to work or it's not going to work very well or you're just going to end up you know upsetting a lot of people in the process so uh, in terms of sales uh, if you are going to be selling something. I do believe that sales has to be aligned with your marketing approach and how you're building out your own personal brand and everything like you're doing, Claudia. And that's, that's the way I believe you should build out your own brand so that it can reinforce sales. And when you are doing sales, um, a very simple, we'll talk about marketing in a second, but a very simple framework to be successful at sales is first uh, you identify the companies that you want to actually target so this is in more technical jargon uh, ideal customer profile yeah and then you target yeah uh, the person within the company that the persona the the you know it could be like cmo or uh you know vp sales or director of finance it doesn't matter you figure yeah. out the person within the company that you want to target so the persona and then when you're actually going to reach out to them a very uh, simple outbound strategy. Of course, you. It depends on what product you're selling, but usually you're going to email, LinkedIn, phone, and you will use uh, something called the Why You Why Now framework for the content that you actually put in your outreach. And really, it's not so complicated. Like the name suggests, the Why You Why Now is explaining why am I reaching out to you. Obviously, if I'm telling, if I'm if I'm answering that question in the email, obviously you know you have like a you have like an actual an uh, 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 actual outbound sales email with a call to action. But you're saying, why am I reaching out to you right now? So why is this thing that I'm selling personalized to you? What's the reason for me even emailing you? You have to figure that out and you have to do some research. We have to figure that out. That's step one of personalizing your sales message. And then step two is why now? So why now? Why is there an event in the in the life cycle of the customer that warrants me reaching out to them why does it make sense what's relevant in your life that would make whatever i'm selling helpful to you so the why you why now is just um it was it it, i can't remember who actually thought through this originally if i'm not mistaken there's some really great sales you know gurus uh, like not 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 gurus in the bad sense like in like they're very smart and they're they're well-known names um I think John Barrows is a great sales leader to follow. I know he's a great sales leader to follow, but I think that was his framework, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am mistaken, I'm very sorry to whoever is not John. There's also Jeff Hoffman, who has a, a great framework. He also could be responsible. I'm blanking on who's actually responsible for building this framework, but it's quite simple, right? It's very simple at its core. These are the things that you want to answer. In the email that you're sending out or in the linkedin message you're sending out or in the phone call you have to make sure that it's personalized relevant and timely as well there has to be a timely event in the customer's business that makes it so that they would care about your product or your service okay. that you're offering so that's a very quick and simple f- framework for automatically being a better seller of your services now the second component of that Um, Okay, it's great to just send emails and to whatever, send messages on LinkedIn, but let's also, you know, let's focus on the marketing thing. So the brand, and you want to build up your brand and the way to market, the way to market in 2021, in my opinion, the most effective way is to become a media company, is to create content across as many social platforms as you can. You need to have a framework and a process for creating content so you can do it at scale. Um, the framework that I personally use, um, I think you use it, you, you do the same thing where you record one long form piece of content. Yeah. And in that podcast that we're having right now, we're discussing things that you want to eventually turn into sh- shorter pieces of content that you're going to push across all your socials. So you have that one long form piece and then you take that and you're breaking it. And then you take that long form piece video goes on YouTube, the, yeah. the podcast. Now you have an audio goes to a podcast. You can even take this, you can transcribe it, you can do show notes, you turn it into a blog, you break the video into small little clips or the audio into small little clips that can go across Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter. uh, You know, you can do YouTube shorts. If you break it into sub 30 second clips, you could do like TikTok reels, Snapchat spotlight, uh, Twitter stories. Um, all this, all the small short form video things. So that all stems from that first piece of content, that first long form piece of content. Um, This strategy, again, it's not new. You'll see a lot of people talk about this, but this is just the easiest way to build out a content strategy that allows you to place your content everywhere. And it also feeds into more. It also is like, we're talking about social media because Mm -hmm. you're pushing across all social, but remember, even if you take this long form piece of content, you now have a conversation between, you know, Claudia and Scott, you write some show notes, you it's an interview style, you post that on your website. Now you're actually feeding into your SEO strategy and you're driving traffic because now you're posting more content on your website. So in my opinion, focus on being a media company, focus on creating content. And that's how you market yourself effectively in, in 20, in 2021. Um, I'm trying to think of bad examples of marketing but I think a bad example of marketing is somebody who's just not doing that because that's how that's that's how people get to know you right that's how yeah. and it's tough because you have to show up all the time but that's why you don't want to just just push stuff out over social without any plan or any strategy or any process because you'll burn out you it's not because it's you just you'll just burn out. So you just have to have that process, and this is probably the easiest process to follow because you don't have to create all the time for every platform individually. You just create once, distribute forever.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. So I I haven't really started my YouTube channel yet. Well, I've created one, but I, well, I haven't really started putting content out. But I'm I'm using my my podcast. I'm mm-hmm. putting the um. The transcription app as a blog post, so for the SEO and everything, and yeah. I use it on Pinterest like snippets. That's smart. Yeah. You, you can do video, even video on Pinterest. So this goes out; it goes out on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. So it's just all repurposed content, and yeah. that yeah. is. I'll give you
0: one more that you didn't. You yeah. probably don't think of because I actually forget this for myself, and I have to do it more. But we just spoke. Of, you asked me a whole bunch of questions. We spoke about a couple of topics. If you transcribe it, you can, you can now see all the different timestamps and you can see when we spoke about different topics. So now you can actually break it down to, into almost like a Q&A format if you really wanted to. But nice. what you can do, you can go to Quora and you can find people asking questions about topics that we discussed on the show. And you take the stuff that we spoke about and the answers that you got, and then you go answer people on Quora. And that's going to drive traffic from Quora too. Okay. And people don't think about Quora. Quora and Pinterest are two things that if you can get well, if you can figure them out, it can mm-hmm. drive traffic. But most people forget about them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, don't, I I try Pinterest and I, I still can't get it quite right. But I know that I've used this strategy for Quora and I do get significant traffic from Quora. Okay. So that's another one.
1: Yeah, I have to try that. At some point, yeah. Pinterest worked really well and then something happened and I wasn't consistent anymore. <laughs> that, that's okay.
0: usually, yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's, <laughs> that's the case with right. most <laughs>
1: you stop being consistent and you you know yeah. <clears throat> everything goes downhill so what marketing trends do you see emerging right now and what changes do you predict based on those trends
0: so the trends uh, who how who, somebody this was a an answer to i can't remember who told me this on the podcast but i thought it was very prolific and insightful um find out what your nieces and nephews are looking at and find a way to market there doesn't matter what your business is that's what you have to find a way to market on so it does like it's going to be another platform there'll be more platforms there'll be more channels there'll be more things that you can do go find out where the youngest generation is spending their time and find a way i don't care if you're selling shoes (laughs) cars food figure out a way to turn it into a, con- into a content format that plays nice with whatever platform or channel that is. And if you do that and you understand that, you'll always be a successful marketer because that's really what it is at the end of the day. Like, look, at you, have, you had Vine and now you have TikTok. Now you have Reels. And that, like, it's never, like all these new channels are never going away. Now you have even more um, like niche channels. Like you have like BitCloud, which is like a new one which is like a brand new cryptocurrency social media platform. That's like, yeah. it's almost like Twitter. Like just find out what people that are in the know mm-hmm. who are younger, who are, are always, always looking for new places to consume content, find out where they're at, find a way to take your brand to that platform. And that's how you'll win. Okay. And that's yeah. just the, the mindset that you have to have. As a CMO, as an entrepreneur, it doesn't really matter. You could be a CMO of a Fortune 100 company. If you ignore that, if you ignore that advice, that simple advice, you will eventually become you know, maybe you maybe you'll be too big to fail for many years but i you know i think many people thought like blockbuster wouldn't fail or you know like people thought you know like like all these different like use cases of people and and examples and case studies of people that were enormous gigantic companies that for not always for marketing purposes they also there was also business issues that they they didn't really tackle but regardless it's the same mindset the same mindset of somebody that's going to you know, go through a digital transformation in their business is going to be the same mindset of somebody, a CEO, executive, CMO, is going to try and figure out a way to get some content on TikTok. It's a mindset that you have to have. And I think that that's really important.
1: What about Clubhouse? I saw that you were in Clubhouse mm. too. Is that something that we should all pay more attention to? Or what do you think? So
0: that's a good one. So I actually, I'm, I'm not great at Clubhouse. And some people are. I think that I think that there was a, a time when Clubhouse first started mm. when you could use it to get massive exposure. Yeah. I think that there's what's happened with Clubhouse is you when you first started, you got massive organic reach and you could use it to build a great following. And if you built a great following then, then you can still use it because now you have a following. But the issue that I See with Clubhouse and and some of the download numbers, I think reflect this. Is it's such a time consuming platform right. that it is, it is, it's so time consuming that it, it inhibits you to be effective long term. Just because you have to have a job, you have to have you know, take care of your family, you have to like it's it's like I can I can start on Twitter today and I can bulk, uh, I can like batch schedule my posts. And I can do that for two years with relatively little disruption in my life, right? I can write a couple of posts on a Sunday afternoon. I can schedule that. And after like two years of tweeting, I'm going to start developing an audience. But if I have to, for like two years, go on Clubhouse with zero presence and and spend an hour, two hours, three hours every single day on there with with no following, that's very inhibitive. And I think that that's why you see like downloads on Clubhouse have dropped like 90%. So I'm not saying that it's impossible. I personally haven't figured it out and I've tried to figure it out. And I feel like it's just too, I feel like there's better ways to build out an audience. Again, we're talking about sustainability, long-term, You know, uh, managing your, your life, your family, potentially your career. I think you have to be cognizant and aware of that. And I think that that has to drive your strategy. And for me, that's why I'm not, spending as much time on Clubhouse. Because there's other ways to have a higher uh, ROI on the time invested for the yeah. time being.
1: I was wondering about that platform. And you know the live launch method is one of those strategies that has been around for years. And that mm-hmm. worked really well, where people um, ran all those challenges. But now you see challenges. Everyone runs challenges. It doesn't work as well as before, I was wondering, maybe we could take that format, like the live launch strategy, and have it on Clubhouse, something like that. So kind of like a uh, sort of masterclass or a series of masterclasses for people to join.
0: See, I don't mind that idea, but the issue with Clubhouse is I don't get anybody's email it's less it's it's less than like i can't i can't just i can't even message somebody i i don't think yeah you can't you can't message somebody on the platform so like so that's you know the you know you never build a what's what's the saying you never build like a whatever the castle in someone else's whatever garden or whatever or whatever the saying is and it, like that's already an issue with many social media platforms because people get deplatformed or they get their account hacked or a variety of reasons they lose their audience, right? Look at the, the most prolific example would be Donald Trump, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the epitome of losing an audience. But um, that happens to a lot of people for a variety of reasons, not, not, always, the, not always because they get deplatformed or banned, they get their account hacked, whatever. But that's why I always bring it back to you know you have to control your interaction you have to build a community that you can control not mm-hmm. control the interaction but build a community you can control so you have to that's why I lead people back to signing up for a newsletter because then it's an email that I have mm-hmm. that I can directly communicate and I think that that's something to be and that's why you know do I want to invest do I want to invest that much time in building, like there has to be an ROI, right? Like, so that means that if I'm going to be on Clubhouse, I'm going to be on Clubhouse and do a live launch on Clubhouse. That means that the ROI on investing in Clubhouse, my time on Clubhouse has to have enough organic reach that it's eventually going to lead back to all my other social assets or my email list that I can build that community and use it in five years from now, whenever I want to do something with it. But if it doesn't have it, if it doesn't have that organic reach, then Clubhouse uses its utility. It doesn't make any sense anymore. And that's, that's what I like. Twitter spaces is the same thing as Clubhouse, but then at least with Twitter spaces, I have the ability to build a Twitter community because I already have Twitter and I can DM people anytime. And then hopefully, you know, I can, I get a, I get a, I get a huge organic reach on Twitter, like like millions of impressions on Twitter. And then Twitter is actually my number one, um, number one uh, refer for my email list,
1: wow. surprisingly
0: enough, even though it's not my biggest following, it's my number one refer for my email list, my newsletter. And I, I use my email list for my newsletter right now. But I mean, like if you have a, if you have a strong email list, I I, I know people that have such a great email list and I don't sell. Courses right now, but I do know people that do sell courses. And I remember I, I spoke to one guy who had a great email list and he said, Scott, our email list was so good that if we launched a course, I could guarantee that in 24 hours, I'd make a hundred thousand wow. dollars. Because every time I sent an email, that was the average amount of people that would buy whatever I put out. And it's just like, it's now, now it's like, you know, that obviously that's, that's an incredible figure to, to have that that guaranteed 100K every time. Like we're talking millions of email. Obviously, it's not like a, a thing for somebody just starting out to expect, but that's the power of having an email list. And you can't tell me that um, I've never seen somebody with a clubhouse room that if they launch something in a clubhouse room, they're gonna get $100,000 in sales from that clubhouse room because you can't even properly communicate that. You can't, in an in, in a, in a, in a audio format, are you gonna say like, go to www.scotscourse.com <laughs> and you're expecting that many people to convert from, a, from you telling them that? Some will, but I don't think it's the, the most efficient, uh, efficient or effective way. So, and I feel like now I'm just hating on, on clubhouse, which is not good um, because I know that some people really, really spend a lot of time on it but I just haven't seen, it doesn't seem practical to me.
1: I am so glad you said that because I'm on Clubhouse, but I haven't really spent time on it trying to figure it out. So I'm glad I talked to you before I started to spend a lot. I don't want to
0: dissuade people. I want people to experiment and and explore. And I've also, I, I, I would also love to spend, but again, it's time. Right, yeah. so I didn't. I didn't build my podcast audience. I didn't build my newsletter. I didn't build most of my following, which is it's growing every single day by spending any time on Clubhouse. Yeah. So, in my opinion, like, do you think that I would have achieved five percent accelerated growth by spending more time? Maybe, maybe, but maybe not. And I'm happy with the progress that I'm making right now. So, and especially, you're talking. You have entrepreneurs on the show that are considering building their own thing on the side, which I always advocate for. Don't quit your job. Start to build something take it slow, you don't have to quit day one with no capital, no backup and just start a business. Like if we're talking about that work-life balance, if you wanna have a full-time job and start something, you have to be very, very aware of of your time. That's very important.
1: Yeah. Now maybe we can expand a little bit on that marketing topic. I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with lead generation, and for many, it's the least enjoyable part of running the business. So would you mind sharing out your current favorite lead gen strategy with our audience? Sure. was it the um, outbound send email that you talked about?
0: It was it's a bit of that. Yeah. that that's what I use for like my business. That's what I use for um that's that's literally what I use for what i like when I'm selling software or anything, really, but obviously i'm in I'm in software. so, um, I would say uh, a, an unexpected lead gen tool would be Twitter or LinkedIn, because again, if you build up a following and you and you speak about what you do and you make it clear what you do for a living and what you sell or what you want to sell, you will have people reaching out to you and asking for that. And even if you don't make it clear, you I still have like because I just I I don't sell anything, but people come to me and say, hey, can you you know, do some marketing consulting, do some sales consulting. Can you help me with this, that, or the other? Because I saw your post. Um, So, you know, build it and they will come kind of, but not in all seriousness. And, but also at the same time. So that's why I always say, be a media company. Because if you be a media company, focus on creating content around what you do for a living. And if what you do for a living is coaching or consulting, or you have a course, if you want to have a course, like whatever it is, if you constantly talk about that, on social, not talk about it as and sell it, but talk about topics that are adjacent to what you do and make sure those topics are helpful and they're answering questions about people that could potentially be customers would be asking about that particular topic or industry or whatnot. And if that's your content strategy, then people see that you do have something, then they'll be reaching out to you to buy it because they, they'll they see you as the, as the subject matter expert in this particular field. So I would say for lead gen, that's probably the easiest form of lead gen because you don't have to sell. You are selling, you're selling every single day, but you're not selling in the traditional sense where you're reaching out and you're, you know, cold calling people and whatnot. So if you build a great social presence and you have a product and you speak about content on your social that is in line with that product, that will be lead gen. And then secondly, for a more pure outbound approach. Yes. I use like, so, you know, in terms of tools, Um, Uh, Apollo.io is a great email outbound tool that lets you run sequences. Um, Having that framework to understand what to put in the emails uh, so that they're personalized and they're not spammy is important too for outbound Um, in terms of like an outbound campaign in a more traditional business to business context. Like if you had, for example, an inside sales rep, uh, you know, data shows that you have to reach out to somebody between seven to 15 times across various channels before they respond to you. That, this is, we're talking more like traditional large enterprise business sales, but um, uh, you, can, you can bring that down. So like right now, one of my sales reps will probably reach out to uh, a VP selling software. They're selling a software product. They'll, they'll reach out a few times via email, LinkedIn and phone. And those will be the three channels that they're going to be reaching out. And there's, you know, you set up a, ca- a cadence for, uh, you know, day one, send an email, day two, yeah. LinkedIn, day three, give them a phone call, leave a voicemail. That's a very formalized sales process, but you can use that process and and bring it down to whatever you're trying to sell. So if you don't have a, an audience day one, sales is sale, like sales is tough. Like there's no, there's no way around it, but at least if you, understand how to position and and the content that you should put into the messaging that you send out into the world to the people that want to buy your product it will be a little bit it it will be a little bit more appreciated and it won't be as uh, it won't be as rough that's the best way to put it um and then you figure out like maybe i I don't feel comfortable calling that's fine so it's no problem know that know that you will be slightly less effective but you can still email and linkedin people because you don't feel like cold calling them, you don't have time, whatever, you can email LinkedIn people and that will bring you some leads. Um, right. And that's, that, that, that's really, you know, that's not a magic secret sales formula, but if you are at least um, an empathetic seller, and like I said, you, you make sure that it isn't just garbage that you're sending out to people, um, it will bring you some results. And if you can master that down, then then you can sort of start to grow the side hustle a little bit. A little bit quicker and it's uh, it, you, you'll notice results immediately it's not it's not like a very difficult thing if you have a good product and have a good product of course that's that that is the key to everything have a good product that's that's uh, you know i didn't even mention that but if you don't have a good product um it doesn't matter how much you market or sell people will just discover the bad product quicker so have a good product that's that's the number one most important thing
1: so have a good product content yes. marketing strategy yeah. and personalized social selling
0: Yes, that sounds, yes. yes, you nailed it. Yeah, nice. You just, we didn't even have to do this podcast. You could have just done three bullet points, tag me in a post and be like, Scott, this is what you mean, right? I'm like, yes, yeah. <laughs> Very good.
1: Awesome. Okay. So now that we've talked about some social media platforms and lead gen strategy, let's talk about sales. So, sales okay. is another thing that, that so many people struggle with. Now, you have worked with a lot of the big names in the industry, but I guess you've also had sales calls with, say, mm-hmm. beginners or intermediate stage entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. So you have seen it all and you have heard it all. Now, can, yes. <laughs> we, can we talk about mindset differences for a moment? So, a business coach, a business coach friend of mine recently posted a funny meme about this topic. And I'd love to hear your experiences with this. So, here's the meme. So, she said, a $500 client says, I just feel as though with this investment I'm about to make in you that we should understand how our lives are about to change and I need yeah. results and I need you to bring them and I'm entrusting you with our livelihood and our lives. Whereas the uh, $50,000 client says, s- says uh, money sent, thanks. <laughs> Is that your uh-huh. experience too? <laughs>
0: That is 100% my experience. That is right. so accurate. Um, the the, the $50,000 client is maybe a, sl- a slight bit more work, but it, you know anybody who sold anything will realize the $50,000 client is not much more work than the $500 client, but they're way less headache. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why it comes down to that first point that I said about if you're going to sell or market anything, Those two pieces, the ideal customer profile and the buyer persona, the ideal customer profile will drive most of your interactions. And when I say ideal customer profile, I didn't really go into targeting. And what I mean by targeting is you're, you're, so you have to decide which businesses you want to sell to. One of the, one of the variables that you choose is how much revenue do they have? How many employees do they have? Um, How long have they been around? What industries are they in? these are the variables that make up that profile. You're making a profile on a company. If you don't have a profile and you just send it out to everybody, then you'll get small, you'll get big. But if you have that profile that guides all of your sales efforts, your sales outreach, you won't run into customers you don't want to sell to. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's actually um, an under-discussed point about sales for people that aren't in, if you're in sales, you speak with us a lot. But if you aren't in sales, Um, you may not realize how important it is to qualify out, Mm -hmm. to to get rid of people that aren't proper customers. Mm -hmm. Like don't chase $500. Because you got to think of the long-term implications Mm -hmm. of running with a $500 client if you're a coach, if you're whatever. If you you have to be involved in the deliverables of a service and and you have to physically give up hours um to be the one who's on site or to be on zoom calls or whatever that time invested is time taken away from potential other clients so that's why it's important to identify who you want to reach out to but also to get rid of people that aren't the right fit i
1: totally and
0: you <laughs> that's a big thing that that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into that trap because they just they chase money mm-hmm. which is fine and that's also why You don't want to quit your job, so you don't have to chase money. So you can say no to customers that aren't the right fits. You can focus on on customers that are the $50,000 that have a logo people recognize, that won't give you headache, that will be a great referral, that people will look at that brand when you're done that job and be like, wow, this person is legit. They just closed X Fortune 500 company. You're not going to get all those benefits if you don't have a job and you need to make rent or you need to you know, God forbid, put food on the table and you are running out of money and you're taking all these small little $500 clients that are clogging up all your, all your, all your spare time. So that, that is so accurate. That is, I've seen that meme before actually, but it's a hundred percent.
1: It's true, right? <laughs> it's,
0: yeah, it is. It so is.
1: Do you think it's easier, like in general, it's easier to sell to established entrepreneurs or to newbies or would you say it depends more on the personality than on the business stage?
0: sell so, so sorry so i'm selling to you're saying an established entrepreneur
1: yeah so is as it, a is it easier to sell to one of those established entrepreneurs or to a newbie someone who's mm-hmm. just starting out or would you say it depends more on their personalities than on their business stage
0: i don't think the business stage matters no i think it's more no because if you think about it the only reason i say that well it depends on what you're selling of course yeah but i mean if if you're selling so you if you're selling to a person well no i don't think it matters because somebody who's starting a business what if they what if they have uh what if they have a net worth of 100 million dollars and they're starting a new business well that business is new but they have they have the capital to invest right sure. but if you're selling to somebody who uh, again quit their job to go start their business and they can barely make rent well that's not going to be a good customer so i think that I, I think there's more nuance to it than than just whether or not they're new or they're they're more experienced. Now, I guess somebody who has a lot of money to spend, technically they would be more experienced. I think you just have to be clear about, I think you have to be clear about what you're offering. I think you have to be clear about the customer expectations as well, the deliverables, what it is. Um, Say you have somebody who's more experienced and they can understand what they're purchasing. Uh, Well, that's that's akin to selling to the person who spends $50,000, right? You're selling to somebody yeah. who knows what they're getting. And somebody who knows what they're getting is going to be more confident and probably be able to spend more on whatever product or service you're selling anyways and understand the deliverables. I, I would say, yeah, I would say less about experience and more about I, I, personality. I don't say personality, it's not really personality, but maybe Trying kind to of think how, that's a good question, actually. That's
1: because a really good question. What I see sometimes is that beginners I mean not always but they tend to be more price shoppers and more experienced mm. people tend to be more value shoppers so but how do
0: you vet that you're not going to say like oh how long have you been in no, business
1: you, you can't you can't tell until you talk to them so it's hard to
0: But maybe that brings us back to qualifying out
1: exactly so maybe
0: that's why you do a discovery call and then you qualify out when you realize that they're price shopping and they say well if I want to work with you I need to have x amount of deliverables, I need to, I need to do this. And, and it's a hard. it's a unreasonable thing that they're asking for in terms of what they expect from working with you, then that's when I would qualify out. Yeah. So I think it's less, I think it's less, actually, this is my final answer on this one. <laughs> I think, um, I think it's less about who you're working with and more about your ability to figure out and ask the right questions and to qualify out or to say they're a good client. I think it's on you to figure that out, not on them.
1: Probably, yeah, Yeah, I think
0: that's probably the most, I think that's probably the best advice I can give, because if you ask the right questions, and you have the confidence to qualify people or qualify, say they're the right fit or not, then I think that's, I, I think that's probably the best way to work with a, a group or a customer group that you may not have the ability to really investigate. Because when you're selling to business, you really can find out when they were founded. You can find out how many employees they have. You can go on LinkedIn. You can even, if it's a big enough entrepreneur and they have a team, you can go on LinkedIn. And you always do your research before you do the call anyway. So you should have a good idea. You can also see, like, you know, what does their website look like? What type of, you know, like do they do they have a team behind them? What have they done in the past? A quick Google search. Have they been functioning in this space for a while now? I think you can fairly, you can tell pretty quickly who's legit and who's not legit as in like they're, a, they're running a legitimate business, but who has had success, who's had success and who has some sort of longevity behind what they're doing. Um, because even by going to somebody's website, even if they have a website, you know, if they, if they have had success, they're going to have something up there in the world that you can go check out. So I think like research, understanding what to ask, qualifying out those are all the things that drive uh a- and help you sell better and uh, not sell as in like close I, when I say sell I mean like just like cause you less stress in when you actually close the deal because you can close the wrong people and then it's hell. It's just horrible
1: that. especially yeah. in you don't want those people yeah. they are really just headaches so I totally agree <laughs>
0: <laughs> well think about it like a tr- like a trainer like like if I'm a gym trainer Like I want, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get somebody, I'm going to work with somebody. Like I want, I want them to be in the right mindset. I want them to commit. I want them to, you know, not, if I'm going to put somebody on a, on a meal plan or on a workout regime, like I want them to stick to it. I don't want them. And if they're not going to stick to it, then it looks bad on me it looks bad on me. You know what I mean? If they're, if they're on, if they're on Instagram saying like, Oh, you know, Scott couldn't, you know, help me lose weight or Scott couldn't, you know, uh, you know, uh, increase my, my, you know, one RM or my bench or whatever, or my squat. and, And then it's because they don't go to the gym. It's because they eat whatever they want. They drink all weekend. And that looks bad on me as a personal trainer. So obviously some, some things are more visible than others. But I mean, everything comes back. So I think you have to be careful of your own brand when you, when you close clients. And I don't think people think about that. Yeah. But you close yeah. the right client, it can accelerate your business exponentially, like quite quickly.
1: And also you want, you want it to be a fun experience for everyone, right? It's, it's not yeah. fun for them if they don't get the result. It's not fun for you if you have to drag them all the time and they just don't yeah. put in the work. So it's not a good experience for either one. And I want to make sure that it's a good experience for both of us when we work together. So I I think it's really important. And it's something that people don't often talk about, about this process of qualifying people and also to be picky about who you work with and not just say, okay, I can close this client and I will do it just because I can. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But to really be, be aware of who you want to work with
0: That's why it's so important to set yourself up in a position so you can be picky.
1: True. (laughs) So last but not least, where can our listeners find you online if they would like to connect with you more?
0: Well, first of all, thank you for the, thank you for the conversation. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I hope, I hope everybody got some value out of that. Um, If, uh, if they want to connect with me, um, I have a, I have a website. So ScottdClary.com. Um, I also have a website for the podcast, uh, successstorypodcast.com. Or I was fortunate enough to get all the social um, at Scott D. Clary. Mm.
1: So you can just <laughs> you can go anywhere and find me there. <laughs> That's easy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott, for sharing all those tips and insights. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it too.
0: My so- pleasure. Thank you so much, Claudia.
1: <laughs> Thanks again. Take care and talk soon. Bye.